Morning. Today's reading comes from the book of John, chapter 5, verses 1 through 18. We're reading from the New International Version. Please follow along on your own Bibles or as the text is presented on the screen. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now, there is in Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate, a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, and the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, Do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. And Jesus said to him, Get up, pick up your mat, and walk. And once the man was cured and picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath, and so the Jewish leaders said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, The man who made me well said to pick it up your mat and walk. So they asked him, Who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Jesus later found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had made him well. So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. In his defense, Jesus said to them, My father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. The word of the Lord. Before I I tell a story, I would like to um, get a Bible verse up here for you that is at the end of John's Gospel. And if you were here last week, I uh, brought this verse to your attention. But uh, it's the reason why John is writing down these stories that we've been going through. And um, it says that there were many more. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written so that you you uh, and others may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So the word signs up there is, is a very important word in John's Gospel. And uh, I want to share a story that comes from my time. I'm pretty careful about sharing stories about any of you. Have you noticed that? I hope you are okay. Uh, I, won't, I'm, I, I will ask permission or whatever. And I'm sure if this woman were here this morning, she would get up here and tell her story. That, I, it's, a, it's a wonderful story. So uh, she was someone who I would meet with, this, this is 10 plus years ago, maybe every six months, just to check in with, to see how she was doing, because I knew that she struggled. And you could see it in her countenance. And um, she had a lot of good things in life. She had a, 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 her marriage wasn't great, but she had some good friends. And um, she had a Christian faith. But over time, her, her life got harder and harder. And uh, I noticed that she was 
getting maybe depressed. And one of her, well, her best friend was a doctor. And her best friend came to me one day and said, I'm really concerned about her. I won't give her name. And, um, and she said she has lost 30 pounds. Now, she was not overweight to begin with. And she was running uh, like with an addiction running. And she had become uh, skin and bones. And so her friend was really concerned for her life. I mean, this is how serious it was. And so I, I called her up and I said, hey, we need to talk. Uh, and I didn't go into everything about what her friend had said, but I said, I want to suggest that you go see somebody. And I, had a, I have a list in my back pocket, at least I did at that time, of counselors who were helpful in different ways with different people. And I thought maybe there's just, uh, I'm getting desperate here, but a spiritual breakthrough is what is needed. So I gave her the name of a counselor, a licensed counselor, who was known for praying with people. I mean, and really going deep into people's souls. And it either worked or it didn't. But what do you have to lose at this point? And so um, that, that happened. It began to happen. And I didn't hear much. And then one day I got a call. It was a late afternoon. And I'm in my office. And she's on the phone. And she's excited. And she says, I'm going to be there in five minutes. Are you, can you talk? And I said, okay, come on by. We talked. She sat in that chair. And this is the same woman that I had sat in that chair many times before. And she was beside herself with joy. And uh, this is what makes you believe in God, folks. This is the sign of something here. And she told me how she, and I knew this, that there was something inside of her that she had never been able to, to verbalize, get out. And it was a secret. And I won't tell you what it was, but I found out from her. And that letting that secret go was the key. Getting it out. Getting it in front of God. Knowing that she's loved with that secret in her life. I mean, she experienced freedom and love like never before. And she had this fear that if she shared it, she wouldn't be loved. And she got it out and confessed it, received the healing words over her. And uh, her life, her body got better, her, her, her whole being got better, her marriage got better. And I am here to tell you that that is a sign of God's power and His love, and God does that kind of stuff. Amen? Okay. And it's very hopeful to share that. So we're in this series, and I, I will, you'll see why I shared that story as we go on here. We're in this series. This is the fifth of five. So this is the last one, but we've been in John chapters three, four, and five, looking at these four characters, and we'll review this here in a sec, that we've come across. And we spent two weeks on the Samaritan woman. But these four characters, and they are so different. And Jesus um, is able to, in different ways, bring the good news of himself to them. And what we're trying to do is learn. This is the thing. We're trying to learn from Jesus himself how to do that. How does he do that? And what can we emulate? And what can't we? Because we're not Jesus. So there's things that we can't do that he can do. But there's things that we can do. And we're going to look at that today. And our key verse in this whole thing has been this one. If you don't, if you don't believe this, then any attempt at sharing your, the gospel, the good news with other people will fall flat. This is absolutely critical. Jesus says, my father is always working, and so am I. If you don't remember anything else from the last five weeks, if you could grab onto that, it will do you uh, a, a lot of good. And it will change the world. Okay, so we're going to, here's our, uh, here's our outline. The person in front of you, how important it is to know who's in front of you. And, uh, and then uh, we're going to look at this man who is stuck. And then this really has a weird ending. 
And I don't know if you noticed that, but it's weird. And we'll touch on that as well. All right. The person in front of you, and uh, the imagery that I like to illustrate that is that people are like icebergs. You see about 10% of the person. The person sitting next to you right now, you might know them because they're family, but people that maybe you know as acquaintances, you see about 10% of who they are. And they are dominated in that other 90% by what they love and what they fear. That's one way to talk about it. And it's just, that's what it means to be human on this planet. And um, so that, that's the, the first thing. And the woman I shared that story, uh, her, her heart, the, the fears that came out, uh, and she found that she was loved and she didn't have to be afraid and all that stuff. I mean, it, that's just an illustration of it. So we're like icebergs. And Jesus has this amazing capacity, uh, way above you and I, to see in quickly and clearly into, into the human heart. He can do it just like that. We've, we've seen that again and again. Let me illustrate. A guy named Nicodemus comes to him at night. Nick at night. There's my pun. Okay. He comes. Yeah. You can groan too. It's okay. Um, so uh, Nicodemus comes at night and he finds Jesus. So in all these stories, sometimes Jesus is finding the person. Sometimes the person is finding Jesus. Nick, Nicodemus finds Jesus. And he's, from the, he's an insider, an establishment insider. He has wealth. He has education. He would, he would uh, probably live in some Amish, you know, around here, you know, like you guys. Smart, above average in every way. I'm teasing you. But Jesus says to him, and really abruptly, I think abruptly, after Nicodemus sort of asked Jesus for kind of a favor to give him some more wisdom, And Jesus says, you need to start over. Because I don't like the phrase born again, but it's been overused. I like to say, you need to start over, man. You're up here on the ladder of society, and you need to come down here and just start over. And that creates this whole dynamic that we've looked at. And eventually we have hints that Nicodemus did start over. Okay, that's where that one goes. So we see Jesus doing that. We see him able to see into his heart. We see Jesus with the woman at the well, and she is uh, low on the ladder and an outsider. And uh, she has maybe like the story I shared earlier, she has something secret that she's trying to hide. And she's afraid that if it got exposed, Things would not go well, but Jesus gently draws her out or draws out that secret and he exposes that secret to his grace. And she is changed to the extent that she goes to her town and tells everybody about this man that she has met. Could he be the Messiah? So there's that story. And then last week we looked at this desperate father in chapter 4, at the end of chapter 4, who had a son who was on, at death's door. And this father goes 20 miles to find Jesus. Remember, he, he's seeking Jesus. Jesus isn't coming to him. It's always different. And he finds Jesus, and he begs Jesus to come and heal his son. And Jesus' response, again, is rather abrupt. He says, you people, if you don't see signs and wonders, you don't believe. But the man persists. And he loves his son so much. And Jesus is able to see into the heart and see the fears and the loves that are really in the heart. And he heals his son 20 miles away. It's a long distance healing. Very rare in the Bible. So uh, he tells his whole household and then they believe. Now all these people are right in front of Jesus. At least the 
those three, including the, the desperate father, not the son, but the father. They're right in front of Jesus, and Jesus is able to listen. Remember the L in B-L-E-S-S? He listens to their hearts, and he's able to see what is going on in that subterranean area of their lives. He knows whether they need smelling salts or a hug. I don't think we know if we need a smelling salts or a hug. But he's so gentle with the woman at the well, and he's so abrupt, it seems, with the other two. Um, and he just knows what people need because he's able to see it. And we, we can't do that, but we, the, the closer we get to Jesus, do you have to take my word for this? The closer we get to Jesus, the more we can do that. To really look and listen at the person who's right in front of us. It's an amazing thing if you have it. And those of you who are uh, counselors or you have those, or you are, we have Stephen ministers here, um, others who are able to do that well and do it well, it's an amazing gift that you have, that you give to other people. The person who is right in front of you. Is there someone in your life, somebody who maybe you could go deeper with, to get into those loves and fears of the heart, to explore the iceberg underneath part of their lives and then they become right in front of you okay well let's go to this story the next story of a stuck man and uh, we don't uh, we do know a few things about him it's a it's a really an odd story and we know that this man has been an invalid that's the word the niv uses anyway for 38 years and we don't know how old he is he could be 38 or he could be 58. I guess he has to be at least 38, right? To make sense there. Checking the math, yeah. But uh, we don't know how old he is, and we don't know how long he's been at the pool either. Don't assume that he's been there his whole life. It doesn't tell us that. We know he's been an invalid for a long time, probably paralyzed. As the story unfolds, we see that he can't move very well. And he's at this pool called the Bethesda Pool, which is by the Sheep Gate, which for uh, a lot of years scholars thought there is no such place, but then the archaeologists found it, and if you're in Jerusalem, if you visit there, you can see where this is. And there's, there's these pools there. There's two pools, and they're surrounded. And then there's a footnote you might have found in your Bible that's not in the earliest text, so it's probably not part of John's original gospel, but somebody put it in there, to help explain to the reader that there was this legend or uh, maybe myth that an angel would come down and stir the waters every uh, so often and that the, the idea was that the first one in gets healed. That, that explains part of the story. So if, if that's helpful to understanding the story, um, it's probably... It, it's in that category of, of popular uh, superstition is what I would say what scholars would say. And there's a crowd there. So it's always interesting, there's a crowd, and we have to remember that Jesus didn't heal everybody. And, and that should not come as a shock. He still doesn't heal everybody. But in this crowd, he picks out this one particular man. And he zeroes in on him. And he comes up to that man, and uh, he, says to, he asks him a question. Just imagine, the man is sitting there, he's been sitting there for who knows how long, and this stranger comes up to him and he asks him, do you want to get well? And uh, the man answers a different question. The man answers as if Jesus had asked the question, why can't you get into the pool? 
And uh, all to say that when we've been in a, a place, a stuck place, for a long, long time, we're not able to hear and perceive and see very well. We get uh, shaped by our circumstances that we can't see any other possibilities that our circumstances. And this man has got a very uh, close horizon in his life. I want to get a, a phrase up here from psychology that is, I think it's helpful to um, know what this means. Learned helplessness. Uh, Well, let me just read it. Learned helplessness is characterized by the person's acceptance of their powerlessness, discounting attempts to escape or avoid, should be there, chronic problems, even when such alternatives are clearly presented. In other words, uh, I don't know if anybody comes to mind when you see that definition, but people just learn to be passive about their situation in life, as bad as it is, and they would, they would prefer that identity of being that helpless victim to a solution that might be right in front of them. And, and I've dealt with, I, hey, maybe it's part of all of us. So maybe it's not them, it's, all of, it's in all of us, but when you find extreme examples of this, it's very frustrating. And it seems that this man has fallen into this place of learned helplessness. Um, does he need smelling salts or a hug? He's not going to get a hug, folks. <laughs> it's pretty amazing what happens next. Jesus startles him out of his, his identity as he knows it. What does Jesus say? It's got an exclamation point behind it. Get up! <laughs> Pick up your mat and Walk! I think he just, he startles the man. He, he shocks the man into getting onto his feet. And the man starts to walk. It's an amazing, it's just an amazing story. Uh, just kind of electrocuted by grace or something. I don't know. He, he, there he is in 38 years and he's walking. And he has, it seems like his will in this whole thing is very small. Uh, I think Jesus did sort of shock him into getting up. The first time I tried to uh, help an alcoholic... Uh, and I don't, I, yeah, I, I really thought I was doing, you know, everything right. And I was giving lots of hugs to him. And finally one day, I, you know, you get to a point when you, when you try to help people and they, they don't, they're not participating. And I could just see that he was bound by this, uh, you know, every addiction operates off of a lie, fundamentally a lie, and then he had become basically a good liar. And I just said to him, Jeff, if you don't, if you don't change, you're going to die. And I don't think I can be with you anymore until you change. I don't know what ever happened to him. But that was the... You get to a place where you have to use smelling salts. It was hard. Get up. The man didn't have to get up, but he got up. So I want to review this, and it's, it's kind of, it, it, I want you to feel the oddness of this whole thing again, and then we'll conclude with a weird ending. But this, is, this part's odd too. So the man has been there for a long time in his place, and um, 
a stranger comes up to him. He doesn't know Jesus. That becomes more clear as we read on. He doesn't know Jesus. And this stranger says, do you want to get well? And he says one other thing. This is all that Jesus says to the man. Do you want to get well and get up, pick up your mat and walk? That's it. There's no other red letters. If you have a red letter Bible, you'll notice there's no other red letters in the story. That's all Jesus says, those two lines. And everything changes for that, that man. And, and again, where I started is we are not Jesus. I, don't, don't go around out there today and say, do you want to get well and, to somebody who's lying on the ground and get up. I mean, that's not going to work, probably. Okay. But what we can do, what, we, what do we learn from Jesus here? Well, we learn that Jesus had uh, great confidence in the fact that his father was always at work. And somehow he knew that this man in that crowd was the one he needed to zero in on. So he had that. And then what he did is he talked to the person, the whole person, who was right in front of him. And for us, it's going to take longer. It's going to take work. It's going to, it's going to be a, typically a longer process to get there. But that's what Jesus did. We can learn from him. All right, let's get to the weird ending. Uh, and uh, Okay, the man is carrying his mat now. And... Uh, Mat carrying was a dangerous proposition on the Sabbath because they have Sabbath police out there and they pull him over. And don't you know you're not supposed to be carrying your mat? And uh, they ask him, you know, basically, why are you carrying your mat? And he responds, well, by the way, there's 39 laws for what you can't in, in in the Jewish culture of the first century, at least 39 laws of things you cannot do on a Sabbath. And carrying your mat is one of those. So clearly violating it, uh, the Sabbath laws. So these Sabbath leaders ask him why, and he says that because the man, so he doesn't know Jesus' name, the man who healed me told me to do it. And what strikes us as we read that, and I think, you know, there's lots here that we have to sort of put the pieces together, is that the man is more concerned, back to the fears of the heart, the man is more concerned about what might happen to him than he is amazed at what has happened to him after 38 years of... Isn't that, doesn't that seem funny that he would... You'd think he would be just jumping up and down like that woman in front of me was that day. I mean, after that much, he's, he's concerned about getting in trouble with the Sabbath police. He's changed on the outside, but not really on the inside. Okay, so then we go to the next event, and that is that night, that same night, Jesus meets this man. Again, Jesus seeks him out in the temple area, and Jesus says something rather abrupt to him. No hug, but some more smelling salt. He says, stop sinning, or something worse is going to happen to you. Oh, and um, this is Jesus, folks. That's the name of the series. This is Jesus. We may not like that he does this, but this is what he does. Stop sinning or something worse will happen to you. Probably referring to something beyond this life in eternity. Um, this is uh, hard. It, it, we have to be really, really careful here. The Bible does not teach that you suffer because you have sinned. That is not a teaching. That, you, you will find connection between your sin and your suffering. That's, you'll find that in, in different people, different situations. But in general, 
uh, we have to be really careful with that one. So if you're suffering, it may not, probably not a result of your sin. But for this man, something in his story, we don't know, Jesus knows, he needed to hear it. So uh, that's the, the next thing that happens. And what Jesus is trying to do, of course, is to get him to work on his inside. There's more healing that needs to happen. It's not just about a body thing. It's your whole soul. Okay, so then uh, the man, not to his credit, doesn't seem pit. He goes back to the Sabbath police and he tells on Jesus. He said, oh, it was Jesus who's the one that told me to pick up my mat and break the rules. Kind of tattling. I mean, that's how it comes across. And you know, we might think to ourselves, well, why did Jesus pick this guy? Well, we don't know the end of the story. His life didn't end then. This is one day in this man's life. And who knows? He may have thought it through. He may have reflected upon what happened to him the next day when he woke up or whenever and, being, and then finally you know, amazed at what God is doing and straightened out his life. We don't know the rest of the story. But we do know that Jesus knows what it's like to share good news with somebody and have them not appreciate it. He knows what that's about, and you probably know what that's about. So um, this is a sign. Um, Now let me me explain that, that word sign, and then we'll close. What happens next is that because of this man went and tattled on Jesus, then the religious authorities went and persecuted Jesus. We don't know what that word means there. It doesn't define it. It probably just means that he was harassed at this point in his life. But they begin to scheme on how to kill him. So it's serious business. They persecute him. Jesus' response to their uh, harassment is to... um, well, and let, before I go there, let, let me share what the rabbis taught about Sabbath keeping. And that is that only God and God alone could work on the Sabbath. It's a nice tip of the hat to God. It's like you're going to keep him from not working by making it a rule they can't. Huh? But that was their, their, they were okay with God working on the Sabbath. That was the one exception. I mean, only God can do that. And they acknowledged that he, he did. And that part of that might be healing. So um, after the rabbis harassed Jesus, Jesus' defense is that my father is always working. And they would agree with that. that I mean, that God was always working. They might not think that he was Jesus' father. And then he adds, and so am I. And that's where the, the, the rub comes in. So what Jesus is saying, this is a sign. This whole story is a sign of Jesus making himself out. This is verse 18. Making himself out to be equal with God. Equal with God. I mean, that's pretty big. And so it's a sign of the uh, healing. The healing on the Sabbath is a sign of God always working. It's a sign of the... uh, amazing power of God to look into a human heart and discern what is feared in there and what is loved in there. It's an amazing sign of how God loves people, even people who don't appreciate him. He loves them. This is a a sign. This story is telling us about God. This is Jesus. Let's pray. Who needs... This Jesus. I want to ask you this question. Who needs this Jesus? The one that we read about here in their lives. Who needs this Jesus in the world that you inhabit? 
I want you to think of names of people. It could be family or it could be friends. People that you work with. People that you have a shallow relationship with that you would never tell maybe your, your fears and your loves. Think of the iceberg. Can you imagine yourself being fully present with them and telling them how much Jesus loves them? Because you know how much he loves you with all your stuff. This is not Sunday school truth. This is reality of life truth. Can you see yourself bringing Jesus to them? Could you ask God who is always at work and Jesus who says, so am I, and the Holy Spirit who specializes in opening up the human heart, could you believe that for someone else? Do you love them enough? Do you care enough to bring them to Jesus? He's always at work. Lift just silently, lift up names of people now in your world that need Jesus. You can put your own name in there. Lord, we give these names over to you, trusting in the person you reveal yourself to be in this wonderful story that's a sign of your grace. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.